Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. The wait is over, football is back, and the NFL is through five weeks of its season. And while you might not be at the game this season, you can still get in on the action at betonline.ag. They've got game spreads, totals, team player, and even coaching props. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Cue the music. It's time to start the show and our interview with Steelers linebacker James Ferrier. You know, I'm excited because we got one of my favorite. I would call him my big brother. I would call him one of the guys who showed me how to be a professional on and off the field. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a 2020 Ring of Honor guy. If it's anybody that I want to have as the inside linebacker, it would be no other. James Ferrier, a.k.a. Pot Dog. I would like to introduce him to the show. Pot Dog, I don't know if you know what you, what you, what you meant to me, but um, one, glad to have you on the show. Two, congratulations of being on the 2020 Ring of Honor for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, appreciate it, Ike, man. You know, you're one of my favorite people, and uh, we've always had a special relationship uh, since – we both got to Pittsburgh, and uh, thank you for those kind words. And it's such an honor to be named into the Ring of Honor. It's something I never imagined, nothing uh, I could ever dream of. It just puts a, a bow and a, a bow on the, just a, a good career, a good long career, and that, that's just the icing on the cake. James, how did you find out about it? Uh, I got a call from Art Rooney, and. Uh, I don't have his number saved in my phone, sorry. <laughs> but uh, I saw a phone number, that uh, 412 number uh, pop up on my phone. I usually don't answer the phone if it's not programmed in there. And I, I, something told me to answer the phone anyway, and I did, and I recognized our voice right away. And I got, I got nervous because I thought something was wrong because so, you usually don't get calls from from the owner like that, you know, out of the blue. So I was kind of curious of why he was calling and uh, it didn't, it didn't, it never dawned on me. We uh, shot the breeze, we chit chatted a little bit and then he just said that he was calling to uh, tell me that I was uh, inducted into the Ring of Honor, the Hall of Honor. So it was just an overwhelming feeling and uh, yeah, I didn't even know what to say. Did you <laughs> yeah. shut it, did you shut it too? Uh, not at that moment. Not at that moment. Oh, okay. I was okay. too fired up. I was too fired up. But uh, my wife made me a, a, a video and had all my friends and buddies and former teammates and a lot of people in it. Uh, that they got me teary eyed. Yeah. yeah. Part dog. I always like to talk about that Pittsburgh Steelers locker room. Even though you wasn't drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, you was a first round draft pick with the. New York Jets at the time. We wound up getting you in free agency. But I, I, just, I just like, because I think I say it too much, for other people to understand 
what it was to be a Pittsburgh Steeler and to be in that locker room, bro. Can you explain? Well, it was definitely a special brotherhood that something that, you know, I'll live with with the rest of my life. Uh, it was very special to me. And, you know, from the moment I got to Pittsburgh, the moment I landed down in Pittsburgh, it felt like it was family. It felt like home. Everybody welcomed me with open arms. And, you know, as a player coming to a new team, I couldn't ask for a better, a better way to uh, get started with the guys and the group group of guys that were in the locker room at the time and they just welcomed me and I fit right in and it was just like a smooth, the smoothest transition that I could have ever asked for coming to a new team and you know the rest is history and being in that locker room we had a lot of great guys come through there, a lot of good athletes, a lot of good teams but you know that locker room was a sacred place and a special, special place and everybody that played in that, on, that, on those teams it was something special to us and, you know, we all sit around and talk about to this day and reflect on all the good times and bad times and everything in between. <laughs> yeah, that, that – Joy Porter, when I got there at the time as a rookie, he was, uh, he was like the leader of that locker room. Then it transferred to a James Ferry. It was, it's two different styles, though. Peasy was like more of the DMX – Roughneck yeah. kind of leader. I call uh, Joy Jay Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wallace, man. He 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 told you everything that everybody wanted to say. He said it, and he always had the feeling of the locker room. And whatever he felt like, it was time to do something and buck up. It was it was him that started the rallies. <laughs> yeah, you you was you was the button up when Joy left. You was the more button up professional suited and booted, we bought the handle our business kind of leader. That was y'all two different styles, but what impressed me about you, Pie Dog, was um, one, I didn't think you got the credit you deserve. One, if it came to you and I don't want to throw other Hall of Fame linebackers under the bus, but I'm going to take a James Ferrier any day. Any day. Any day. And I think that's proven not only towards how you play, but just talking to other players and your former teammates and the Dick LeBeau's and the Butts, the outside linebacker coach. Now he's the, the DC. You just brought something different to the table. You know, you was an old school, no nonsense, really didn't get mad, stay even kill, but you play with an attitude and passion. So we fit and we adjusted to your personality. And that was being that professional. Now, on the other hand, Pie Dog, I got the opportunity to, to have at least eight to 10 years with you, you know, off the field. And that's when you showed me how to be a professional because I never had a big brother. You know, I was always big brother. So Pie Dog to me was James Ferry, of course. We call him Pie Dog. Pie Dog to me was the big bro. And whether that was financial because I slacked in that you had to help me out whether that was relationships you talked to me about that whether that was playing in the game or learning how to be a young man pot dog was that guy for me so I got you on this show bro to 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 really tell you thank you really from the bottom of my heart on one being a man and being a professional as a football player and a lot of stuff I do I remember going to the league. You brought me down to Miami 2003 
And I thought I had to get, you know, the chains, the jewelry. I, I thought I had to do all that. He was like, man, chill out, young buck. <laughs> like, you doing too much, young buck. And I'm, and I'm looking at you like, dang, first round draft pick, this dude got all this money, and you would never know because he'll never show it. So, obviously, I'm doing too much. So, from, from a teammate to a teammate, from a little bro to a big bro, man, I just want to thank you for everything you have done physically and mentally in my life. It has helped me to this point. You know, they say 40 is the age. Once you hit 40, um, it's a lot of good things that's, that can happen, bad things. It's, it's like the curve in a man's life. And the way you showed and raised me, as a young man, you helped me out tremendously, bro. Oh, man, that was some kind words, man. I appreciate it, brother. But, yeah, like I said earlier in the show, man, we always had a special relationship. And uh, we always had something that, you know, we can look back on today. But I always felt like that I needed to share my experiences and share all the things that I did wrong when I came into the league with the younger guys. And, you know, that was one of the things, you know, I got, I had guys – I didn't know it at the time, guys from the Jets that really I looked up to and I followed behind and not even knowing that I was carrying most of the things that they taught me, I was carrying that with me onto the Steelers. So I definitely got to give a shout out to all my old uh, Jets triple OGs that were, that were there when I was there. And uh, they, they gave me the blueprint really to, you know, go on and do what I did when I came to Pittsburgh. It, it was a lot of that influence that, you know, I laid on the other guys and, you know, it ended up working out well, you know, when guys uh, go to another team and, you know, you start, uh, you start double, double guessing and double thinking yourself and thinking that you made the right decisions, but, you know, being in Pittsburgh and going through having those good 10 years with those, uh, all those different teams and all those different teammates and players and coaches, it was something really special. James, what was your first memory of meeting Ike? Ike, oh man, I can't remember when we first met, but I know he, he was a young guy. He was a hothead from Louisiana. <laughs> and he had swag. He had swag from day one. He was driven with swag goo. And uh, I knew he was a good person. I knew he had a good heart, but he just sometimes, he went <laughs> the wrong direction. He didn't do the things that he needed to do to make him su successful. And, you know, I just tried to keep keep my eye on him. I knew he was going to be a special player, and I wanted to make sure that he went down, went down the right path. So I always tried to keep my eye on him. And that's why our relationship just began from there. I remember he, he got into an altercation one time. We were driving. He got into an altercation at the mall or something with some local uh, kid, and they got into a fight or argument. I'm like, like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> like the, the owner of the team had to sit him down and talk to him. Like, listen, man, you this is not, this is, you're a professional now, man. You got a lot of things that you want to do, and you accomplish a lot just to get here now. Don't blow it now once you get here. Right. And, you know, he, he listened to me pretty much, and, you know, it ended up working out good for him, and he's had a great Hall of Fame career himself, so... You know, I'm very proud of him, and I'm glad that I was able to help him, you know, get through his first few years of the NFL. And, you know, the rest is – we all know what the rest is. 
Well, I, I got to ask Jay. a follow-up to that, though, Ike. Okay. What, kind of, what kind of trash talker was Ike Taylor? Oh, he could talk with the best of them now. Yeah. <laughs> Ike was cutthroat when he talked trash. Like, he would go after you. If you said something to him, it was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want you to eat your kids. And <laughs> nothing was off limits, which, which I agree with. I believed in it, too. Like, when... Because you're the same field, way. <laughs> you get out on the football field, everything's fair game. So, you know, after the game, I apologize if I say something <laughs> crazy. But during the game, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you mad. I'm trying to get you angry. I'm trying to get you not thinking what you want to do. And uh, that's how we. That's how we talk trash around it in Pittsburgh. <laughs> James Ferry, as a dad, family man, what's the schedule like these days? Oh man, it's way worse than football. It's <laughs> way worse than any game, any practice, anything that you could ever imagine, boy. I tell you, so all of my kids are under seven-year-olds, a five-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old. So ain't nobody past eight. No, nobody over eight. <laughs> so my day, my day is pretty busy. My wife, she's working out of the pool. This is her office where I'm in right now, the pool house. Okay. So she locks herself in here all day and leaves. <laughs> yeah. She's probably not even doing I don't even know if she still has a job. Who knows? She'll come in here and make herself busy now. Y'all yeah, stay out of here. Like, the kids know not to. When mommy's in the office, you can't go in the office. So they, uh, right now, we're, we're uh, doing remote learning. So that's been a challenge. But it's been going well so far. And we had to get a babysitter in the house so they could be, so we could have one set of eyes on the three girls in the, on their Zoom uh, school. And that would let me, uh, give me more time to spend with the baby boy and me and Baldwin. So we hang around, we hang, we, I'm a pretty much, a, I feel like I'm a daycare teacher right now. And, <laughs> yeah. We have a schedule, man. Me and my little man, we have a, daily schedule that we go through, you know, we go through our letters, numbers, colors, and all that good stuff, and we have a good time. But it's definitely a challenge uh, having a lot of little rugrats running around at the same time. Switching topics, winning Super Bowls, if you can, just when, when did you think at some point in time on a Super Bowl run that we had, that we had it? Like, okay, we got a Super Bowl team, and I think we can win the Super Bowl this year. When was a moment during the season when you thought, okay, we we got this? Oh, well, let me see. I see that uh, 2004 season, I, we were rolling, and I didn't think we were going to lose a, a game. And we only lost one. We lost one game before the championship game, and I thought that was the year. I thought, like, we had the best team. We had the best players. It was no way we were going to lose the Super Bowl. And, yeah, we we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, it right. comes the next year, 2005, we get around. We, we start off hot, you know, progressing off the year before, like, doing a lot better. And we're, like, seven and two. And then we hit a like a three game losing streak, and I was right. like, "Oh man, this is not good. We're not even gonna make the playoffs." So we had to fight to even get into the playoffs. And I think that Cincinnati game, 
after playing through that game and going through all the ups and downs of that game, I realized that we had something special. And, you know, from there, from there on out, I thought every year we had a Super Bowl team. No matter if we won or not, I always thought we had something. Man, I, I still remember clearly when Bussy had fumbled the ball on the goal line and it was time for the defense to get up. And I stood right there beside you and Dickie, and Dickie meaning Dick LeBeau. And Coach LeBeau was kind of still in shock that Bussy had fumbled the ball on the goal line. And you told Dickie in a calm manner, Dickie, hurry up and give me this call so we can win this ball game. And Dickie snapped out of it, gave you the call. But as a young buck, because that was my first year starting, my third year in the league, I was like, dang, Pot Dog really just always cool <laughs> under pressure. So that's that's one of the things I learned from you being cool under pressure. Well, I was, yeah, I was just as nervous, probably just as nervous as everybody <laughs> else. So, you know, I didn't want to portray that. I knew I, right. if I looked nervous, then it was gonna make everybody else panic. So, right. yeah, I just had to, I just had to buckle up and get myself <laughs> together and make sure that I, I portrayed confidence, <laughs> so everybody else could feel that way too. Yeah, <laughs> but when, when I when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this dude just even killed throughout any situation, and that and that kind of just had a domino effect for me. Like even when I did have a bad game or gave up a play, you know, I never let it, I never let it get to me in, in a way. And that's coming from you from when I saw that, that five second conversation in the playoffs with you and Dickie for the 2005 season. Yeah, that was, that was a great moment. And that was a special moment to me. I, I, I've never forgotten that moment either. That I was, I, like I said, I was just as nervous as everybody else. <laughs> And I've got to say this for both of you guys. This is going up against a Colts team. Peyton Manning Correct. in his prime, Marvin Harrison in his prime, Reggie Wayne, I believe Edron James is the running back. Like this was a Colts team that was stacked that season. And Vanderjack misses the field goal and the rest is history. But it just goes to show you the stakes in that game after Bettis's fumble what exactly was going if you two won't say it because you are both very humble people i'll say it for you but going up against the best and the best in that situation as well yeah during that playoff run mark we had four out of four of the top offenses you know we had the cincinnati Bengals at first with carson palmer and company then we had the the colts with reggie wayne a young reggie wayne and edwin james and jeff saturday and Dallas Clark and Harrison and company. Then we had to go to Denver with Jake the Snake, you know, Plumber and company. Then we had to see Seattle in a Super Bowl. So we're talking about four teams on the road against four out of the top five offenses in the league. It was hard, but I say we, we really felt like our backs was against the wall and we had nothing to lose, Mark. Yeah, we had been we had already been in the playoffs for the last four weeks, so it was it was just like more playoff games, just bring them. Because <laughs> we 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 had I think we had to win our last four to get yeah, in the playoffs. We had to yeah, win out. 
to get in the playoffs. So you're right. Our mentality was, man, we didn't going into the playoffs. Technically, we didn't been in the playoffs already because we couldn't lose. Period. I want to fast forward a little bit to Super Bowl 43 in the sentiment that both of you had from a defensive standpoint after giving up the touchdown to Larry Fitzgerald that late in the game. And that season, Steelers defense was as dominant as any that the league has seen. But, like, what was the sentiment? What was running through your mind after that happened before Big Ben and San Antonio Holmes led the team down the field for the game-winning score? I'm going to tell you that we're probably going to say the same thing. Like, after that touchdown, I know for me, I went to the sideline and I was just in disbelief. And I couldn't believe that we – I felt like that the defense had ruined our entire season after playing one of the greatest seasons we could ever play in statistically. And, like, I felt like our defense was the key to getting us to the Super Bowl and being such a dominant team. And we blew it in the championship game. And I didn't know what to say. Yeah. See, it was on me. <laughs> so, so it was – Dang, I, I can see the headlines nationally. Like, dang, I we didn't we didn't came all this way. Like you say, statistically, we damn near broke a lot of records, which people don't want to talk about that 2008 defense. And we get into the Super Bowl, and I give up this damn inside route and cover two man. God damn, I know what the headlines was gonna be like. But somebody was praying for me because I went to San Antonio Holmes. I said, Tone, look, I don't ask you for too much. <laughs> but I'm asking you for this. I said, boy, I need you to take over. And he looked me dead in my eyes and didn't blink. And he was like, bro, I got you. <laughs> and damn sure did on that drive. I don't know how many passes he got thrown to him, but he had play after play after play. And, of course, he had that back of the end zone play um, with the ballerina toe touch catch, which set it off and got us to be two-time Super Bowl champions. Yeah, what a great feeling. That was, yeah, we went from the bottom, the bottom of the <laughs> back on to the top of the mountain. All in two minutes. In two minutes, bro. Because don't forget, we had a holding penalty. Uh, oh, yeah. I on the, was it winning? Was it Willie had a holding penalty? So now we we backed up ten more yards, yeah. and my my bottom lip shivering, and I'm like, man, we about to lose, <laughs> we about to lose this. And Tone called no, a deep curl. He called a deep curl, turned it up, and got the first. I was like, oh, we got action, and there you go. I want to ask both of you this as well. Losing the Super Bowl to the Packers, I often think many times in life you learn more from a failure or a loss than you do from success or winning. Like, what would you tell yourself in retrospect of getting to the Super Bowl? You think you're going to win your third Super Bowl champion and coming up just short against Green Bay? Well, looking back on it, to me, now this is my personal opinion, I felt like we were going there to win our third Super Bowl, like you said, and not going to beat the Green Bay Packers. I think, yeah, I think for me, I think the moment was too big. It wasn't that the moment was too big. It was just thinking of the grand scheme of the whole, like if we win our third Super Bowl, what it's going to mean and 
you know, I think I got caught up into that too much. And, you know, as a team, we were very close. I, I still feel like we had a, a, a good, a lot of opportunities to win that game and pull it out. But, you know, Green Bay had a great game plan and they reminded me of us when we were in uh, the way we were in 2005 when we went on our hot streak. And that's basically what got what happened to us. <laughs> For me, it was uh, Aaron Rodgers was in the Matrix. I remember coming back to the sideline and Coach LeBeau was like, y'all on every play, the man just threatening either ain't, ain't, ain't too well. Like, I, what I'm gonna tell y'all, it, it was it was three plays. It was, it was a few busted coverages. I think it was two busted coverages. But other than that, as far as like a secondary guy, I just remember Aaron Rodgers threatening the needle. I'm like, damn, this dude is really that good. Like I watched him during the playoffs, and I'm like, damn, we got to play him in a Super Bowl. Like this dude is good. But then when you actually play him, you're like, damn, AR AR12 is. He's really that good in person. <laughs> like, yeah, he he's the real deal. So, and I was thinking the same thing you was thinking, Pot Dog. Like, damn, three sound better than two. Like when you talk yeah. about three, man, it's you in a whole different air. Like no other when you talk about man, I got three Super Bowls. So that's what I was thinking as well. But of course, we came short. Still can't take what we have done two-time Super Bowl champion, that still sounds good. There's a lot of guys that played for a lot of years that wasn't able to to get to where we got to. And we felt like at one point in time, we was going to the Super Bowl, like, legit for three or four years, you know. So I was just fortunate to be around some guys like you, bro, my locker room like you, have a team captain like you. So I don't want to hold your time anymore. I know you with your family. Man, I appreciate the time you've been giving me. I want to thank you for everything you have done in my life. Also, I want to congratulate you to the Ring of Honor for 2020. Tell him mine and family, bro. I love him. Tell him I say, tell I say, what's up? Appreciate you coming on the podcast with me and Mark Bergen, bro. Anytime, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate your kind words, and you know I love you to death, man. Thank you, Pot Dog. Mark, you got anything to say to uh, Pot Dog? Thanks so much for your time. And there is, it's always goes by quick because I feel like we could spend till the end of the day just asking a question about your experiences, but certainly appreciate your time this afternoon, James. And I'll go ahead and sign off here. For James Ferrier and my co-host, Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Take care and so long, everyone. Peace. Thank you, Pod Dog. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.